Shabbat Shalom. This week, this week, I feel like I've been on the phone almost every minute of the day, and the calls are one of three kinds. They're me checking in on other people, and other people calling to check in on me, and rabbis calling saying, what can we say to our communities? this Shabbat, because there's nothing that can be said in a moment like this. There's nothing that can make us feel better about what happened. And the laws of Shiva dictate that you're not allowed to speak to a mourner other than to say, and then if they speak to you, you can talk. There's nothing that can be said to those in mourning because all of us are in mourning this week. There is nothing that can be said other than, God, please be with us and all the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. There will be a time for us to have big conversations about this. There will be a time for us to talk about how this could have happened. There will be a time to talk about the immediate causes and the historic conflict. There will be a time to talk about how Israel comports itself, where it can go from here. There will be a time to talk about the allies who have showed up for Israel and those who have remained quiet. But today is not that time. Today, we are in a Shiva house with mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Today, we connect. Today we take comfort, and today we commit. One of the moments this past week that was, like many for me, entirely normal and also completely not was when I taught the Lower Marion Area Hebrew High School, known as Lama. Every Tuesday night, we have 40-some kids who come to speak with us, and we learn about the rabbis and Torah and Judaism. We make community, and this week, what we thought we should do was to talk with someone who is in Israel. And I want to thank Lisa Richmond, who's here with us today, for setting this up. We spoke with Maya Zeff, a young woman who grew up here in this area and made Aliyah. She's 19. She's sitting in her home. She is half in the army and half in seminary and basically waiting for a text to say it's time to come serve. And she said she volunteered to speak to us. And we said, you know, Lama doesn't meet until like 7 o'clock at night. It's going to be like 3 a.m. in Israel. And she said, I won't be asleep. So we met with her. And the kids spoke to her. And they heard her story and what she's doing and what she's doing in Israel and checking in on her friends and how she is. And it was a lovely moment of connection for these kids to see someone who is a year older than them who is on her way to serve, who is checking in on friends who are serving currently. And afterwards, we broke into small groups to process what was happening. And our group that Lisa and I led was very quiet. If anything, hammered home that what's happening right now is out of the ordinary. It's that this group of teens was actually quiet. 
But as we got the ball rolling, they opened up about what was on their minds, what's on all of our minds. Many of them have family and friends, counselors from camp, friends from trips, and they were worried about them. One person said that they hadn't realized until this moment that Jews are a minority. And I paused and thought about it, but I get it. Living in this area, thank heaven, our children feel like they are part of a huge and vibrant Jewish community. They don't feel like a minority. They don't feel in danger. And thank God, that's why we're here. But they were trying, sorry, and it, but the attacks of this past week have shaken us. They've awakened many to the precariousness of the positions of the Jews. It makes us ask, if we aren't safe in Israel, are we safe anywhere? The answer, of course, is both yes and no. We thank the police department who has voluntarily sent us extra security this week. We thank the institutions and friends that have reached out and shown us support. We live in a society that is committed to pluralism, to democracy, and our ability as Jews to be safe and free. We thank God for that, and we know that we must also remain vigilant. I noticed many teens, before they were speaking up, were qualifying what they were saying. Well, I don't have immediate family, but, well, I don't really have any friends there that I know, but, oh, I've never been to Israel, but, and at a certain point, I addressed it. I said, well, why are you saying that? Why are we talking about Israel today? And they said, well, because people have friends and family and it's important. And it took them not but a millisecond to get to the next point, which is, well, all of us are connected to Israel just because we're Jews. And that is a message that begins in the Parsha we read today. The very first comment from Rashi on the very first line of the Torah asks, why does the Torah start with the creation of the world? Why not start with Moses and Exodus? Why not start with the giving of the Torah at Sinai? Why not start with Leviticus and the laws? That's the important part after all. Why start at the creation of the world. And Rashi says, there will come a time when the nations of the world question our legitimacy with the connection to the land of Israel. In the 11th century, Rashi says this, there will come a time when the nations of the world question our connection to the land of Israel. And that's why God started the Torah with Genesis, so that everyone could see that the God who created the entire world created everything around us, is the same God that showed up to Abraham, our ancestor, and said, go to a land that I will show you and give to you. I don't imagine that this is a very good proof text for the non-Jews, but it's a good proof text for us, that every single Jew, whether you have family or friends or have been, whether you have been a Jew your entire life or chosen to be a part of our people, every single Jew has a connection to the land of Israel in our DNA, baked into who we are. And that's why the events of this week shake us to our core. And we all have a right to feel shook. And we all have a right to that sorrow. And we all have a responsibility to do something. And as creation moves on in our story, very quickly, the awe of 
creating lights and planets and stars gives way to the creation of people. And after God creates the first human beings, human beings is where our story will live for the rest of the Torah. And as the shock and horror of what happened to us last weekend, to all of us, over the course of this week, is way to the stories of the people that were involved. And the Torah again asks a question about creation and says, why was Adam created alone first? And the answer that the Talmud gives is to teach us that any one individual, any one person could be an entire planet's worth of people, an entire human race. And therefore, says the Talmud, anyone who kills one person destroys an entire world. And anyone who saves one person saves an entire world. And so as we come here today, we think of the entire worlds that were lost last week. We think of the people and the stories that they represent. Stories like that of Noam and Yishai Slotki, cousins of Sharon Liebhaber and Rabbi Alan Iser. On their own, when the news broke on Shabbat morning, they, excuse me, we'll pretend like it's Indian water. When the news broke on Shabbat morning, Noam and Shai put on their uniforms, took their weapons, they were in the reserves, and on their own, they went down to the border of their town and they were killed fighting the terrorists. We think of Eli Nachman, who was a counselor at Pinemere and was killed in the attacks. We think of Inbal Lieberman, a 25-year-old volunteer security coordinator for her kibbutz whose speed and quick thinking, along with the bravery of her neighbors, saved their kibbutz in its entirety from catastrophe. And I think of my friends who were called up, my friend's son who got out of the army, I think three months ago, only to go right back in and serve. We could go on and on. There are thousands that are lost in this tragedy. There are worlds that are lost, and it will be our job in the years ahead to ensure that the names don't only become a number, but that we remember each of them. It is poignant to think that as we focus on humans and in our Torah, we think about the catastrophe and the devastation, the horror, the insanity of it all, we might look back on where this came from. And we go all the way back to the creation again of human beings because the second generation of humans, Cain and Abel, the first brothers that existed, one killed the other. And it can feel like this conflict. It can feel like the desire of some humans to be hateful, to destroy. It can feel like this is so ingrained that there is no hope because it goes all the way back to this ancient, ancient thing. Now, the Torah is famously silent about why Cain killed Abel. It doesn't tell us what happened. It just tells us that Cain slew his brother. And the rabbis, 
from the moment that they start commenting on this, look for reasons. And all of the commentaries try to fill in, oh, it must have been that they were fighting about this, or it must have been that Cain did that. It must have been that Abel did that. There must have been a reason. And I understand the impetus to try to find a reason, to try to put murder into context. But I think that in this, the Torah was intentional. We cannot try to find context for murder and death. Anyone who does isn't looking at the real tragedy. This isn't about the context of why something happened. There is no reason why children should be murdered. This death has no reason. Like that ancient crime of Cain and Abel, we cannot seek to find one. After Cain kills his brother, God comes to Cain and says, where's your brother? His blood cries out from the ground. And we too feel the blood of our brothers and sisters crying out to us today. It cries out to us to remember them. It cries out to us to defend them. It cries out to us to continue the project of building a land in Eretz Yisrael that they were dedicated to. And in this moment, Cain speaks to God. The first question asked of God by any human and says, Am I my brother's keeper? Cain, after having committed the ultimate act of destruction, the ultimate act of uncaring for others, asks God, why should I? Why should I care for another human being? What responsibility do I have towards them? The rabbis say that the entire Torah that comes after is God's response to Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? God says, here are the rules and the ways in which you are. Hakol Yisrael Aravim Zebazeh, all of Israel is bound to one another. It is now our job to live our lives as an answer to this question. For our brothers and sisters in the land, for our family here and abroad, for the world. We have seen our family in Israel answer this question, am I my brother's keeper a million times over this week? It was answered by the people who lost their lives trying to save others. It was answered when Israeli reservists flew from around the globe to answer their country's call. It was answered when reservists put down their protest signs, as a friend of mine wrote, not forever, but just for now, to defend the nation and people that they love. It was answered by Israeli civilians caring for one another, cooking, sheltering, and giving blood. It was answered by Maya Zeph and her seven-year-old brother putting stuff in. It was answered by Maya and her little brother going down to the shelter in their building to make sure that it had stuffed animals in it so that people would have something to snuggle. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the question that we must answer with our lives. Will we answer it by giving what we will answer it 
by giving what we can to the cause of keeping Israel safe and thriving. We will answer this question by checking in on our family and friends in Israel. We will answer it by ensuring that as Israel pursues justice and safety, the world does not forget the horrific reason that they need to seek it in the first place. We will answer it by checking in on one another here. We are all shaken and scared and in need of community. We will answer it by standing up against anti-Semitism in all the ways that it can show up around us. Cain's question reverberates throughout history to us today. It is our generation's turn to answer it. We will protect you. We will remember you. And we will never forget the hope of you. If you're able, I invite you to please rise. If you need, the words of Hatikva are on page 448, a song that our people have carried in our hearts in the old country, a song that the Nazis forced us to sing as we were marched to the camps, a song turned into an anthem of our hopes for a nation of peace and progress, a song that we carry with us still, page 448. Take a breath. We now do what our people have done for thousands of years when faced with death and destruction and adversity. We turn to prayer. We offer our prayers for ourselves, for our families and friends, for our people, for the world. We call on God to answer those prayers. Chatzi Kaddish, page 184. <laughs> Right. 